We're now in Romans chapter 3 down to verse 30, but in review, verse 28, it says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Persons in Christ that maintain faith, the Bible says four times in the New Testament, quoting the old, the just one will live by faith. It's not a one-time experience. By obeying the law of Christ, Christ in him, by active grace, which is obedience, bearing fruit, and spiritual works. This the heretic refuses to accept. They think you have a license to sin, and you don't have to do nothing. It's faith alone. There's no such teaching in Scripture. It will explain this later about Abraham when he was justified and what he did afterwards. And that counted for everything with God. If he had not followed through in what he believed, it would have been nullified. So our faith and grace are given in vain if there is not fruit or spiritual works. Jesus said the Father will cut the branch off. It means the grace has been given in vain. It's not being used properly. One falls short of grace is what Paul says. And in Galatians, he says Christ must be formed again in him. We talk about the Galatians that went back to the ways of the law. He said they needed Christ formed in them again. No one-time experience is the start, a continuance, and a finish the race by being led of the Spirit of Christ. This nullifies so much Calvinistic heresy and false teaching. No license to sin, no serving sin, no selfish living. Christ saves us for himself, not for fire insurance or to live a life of finding one's own way. Salvation is Christ in us. Sanctification, a separating from the world, but concentration, a giving ourselves to serve Christ. So it's whom we obey and trust, Paul says, determines who our master is, whether it's sin unto death or obedience unto Christ. So this nullifies so much false heresy that a good majority of the Protestant world believes. Well, they're on the way to hell, just like the Roman Catholics. They oppress human works and efforts, where the Calvinistic says it's faith alone. You don't have to produce anything. And they're both lying heresies that will send a person to hell. Okay, so now in 3.30, excuse me, 3.30, since indeed God who justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith is one. Okay, what is he saying here? Seeing the one God will justify the Jew and the Gentile by faith. The words by, through, and in mean the same thing. So back to verse 22, for there is no distinction with God. See, his original plan and the law of Moses just was a temporarily something to hold, but it was not God's original final plan. He's going to show us the way of faith was before the Jew came into being. 
the first Jew was Abraham, but he was justified by faith while he was a Gentile, while he was a non-Jew. So this is what Paul's going to prove to people. So in verse 31, do we nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law, okay? Do we nullify or make it empty, the law, by faith? So he's saying, no, we are obeying and carrying out through Christ all the obedience of the law, all the rituals and sacrifice Christ took care of in our place because we were not capable. Every human had sinned. There was none righteous, so he could not do anything. Uh, evil tree cannot bring forth good fruit. So Christ had to do something, the sinless one, okay? So it's obsolete now once it's fulfilled and the law has been fulfilled. It was not nullified, it was fulfilled. The law, and not the law of just of Moses, but the revelations that God gave in the old covenant and the conscience before the law, these were laws unto God that man was accountable for. Before the law of Moses, man answered to God through his conscience and through the few things that God revealed to man, and his conscience was the inner law. And simply, it told him when he did wrong. And yet we'll see the law of Moses could not deal with sin. It could not forgive sin in itself. It could simply state the facts. And that's why sacrifice was needed as a temporarily covering the animal blood to represent what Christ would eventually do. So the law is just and holy. It is not changed. So it has to point out what's evil and wrong. And the law of Moses proved that everyone under that law had sinned, or there wouldn't be no law. The conscience would not be telling them that they did something wrong. So that was the whole point of the law, was to show them that it could not help them in itself. So when he pointed to the blood sacrifice, that was a symbol of what Christ would do to appease the law. The law is not done away. God's law, it says it's just and holy. It's who God is. He's righteous and just and holy in everything he does. And he must judge and exercise anger and wrath against sin. And he has not changed. He's still doing this. People don't want to believe that. They think because Jesus came along, the Old Testament God is gone. Well, Jesus said, God gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes on him should be saved. And a few verses later, and those who do not believe on him, the wrath of God remains on them. So it's in the present tense. His anger is still against the sinning and against the sinner. If he goes deep enough, Psalm says the destroyer, the rioter, the murderer, it says God hates their soul. So there is a place where God associates the sinner, those who've blasphemed the spirit, with the sin itself. And he can withhold grace from them, and he will exercise wrath in the day of judgment if he doesn't do it in the present tense. So faith in Christ puts us under the law of Christ. See, a lot of greasy graces, they think we're free from law. We are free to do as we please. No, that's selfish living, and that's finding one's own life, which will lead a person to hell. 
We are saved for Christ. We have been saved from the power of the devil, slaves to him and sin, and now we're slaves of Christ, Paul says. We're giving ourselves to him. There is no neutral vacuum. If you're saved, you're saved for Christ. If you obeyed sin, now you will obey Christ. There is no fire insurance. There is no one-time thing that saves you forever. These are lies from Satan himself. No ritual and such that we are given in a new covenant outside of water baptism and the Lord's Supper. Some like to include foot washing, but it was never given as a commandment for the whole church under the apostolic age. Uh, It was given as a lesson to serve one another and be servants to one another. So all 10 of the great commandments that came under the law, you will keep if you are a true Christian. A lot of people don't understand that. We're not freed from them. We are given the power to obey them. And we know what the commandments are. Thou shalt not murder, steal, lie, commit adultery, be greedy, dishonor God. Keeping the Sabbath, well, again, even the Sabbath keeping, the Hebrew tells us it's a spiritual, continual Sabbath. It's not a particular day. It's in the eternal present. A true Christian is living in the Sabbath. He can observe any day he wants to, that it's convenient for them to gather together. So if you look at the Ten Commandments, no Christian can practice those which are stated not to do, and remain a Christian. You cannot remain a Christian by murdering and by continually stealing and lying. Well, Paul names 20-some sins, and those are included. And he says, if you live this way, if you practice, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're not a Christian anymore. You will die in your sins. So this is what the grace of God was given for, It's in Christ was to give us power over these things. See, everybody thinks, well, I just say this little prayer, and that's why the majority of these people are going to hell. And that's why Jesus is going to call them workers of lawlessness. They go all say, Lord, Lord. They believe they were born again. They believe they were saved. But he doesn't even bring up the issue. What Jesus says is, you're workers of lawlessness. See, you're still in your sins. You're still practicing your sins. You're not obeying Christ. So he doesn't recognize himself as being their Lord. Remember, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I tell you? So if we do not do what Christ tells us in his word and by his spirit, and we practice that, then he's not our Lord. I don't care how many times you've seen the Lord or how many visions you've had, the word of God nullifies it. So you've got a lot of people banking a lot on emotions and feelings and past experiences that are not going to hold any water at the day of judgment. Okay, So we're seeing then that Christians keep the Sabbath by being in Christ. It's a rest in Christ. So if we want to hold a certain day to meet together, we have a right to do that. The place, it doesn't matter where. If people don't have a church building, if they don't have a gathering place, they can meet in a garbage dump. And if two or three Christians meet there, in Christ's name, that's the church. See, there's only one church. 
the local church is a segment of it, but it's the gathering of two or three Christians with Christ's spirit there. That's what the church is. It's not a building. It's not an organization. When people leave the church building, it is no more holy than when they went in. It's holy because they're worshiping the Lord and they're in unity, the two and three together. So people made so much of buildings, cathedrals, beautiful buildings. They don't mean nothing to God. They have no value spiritually. They can't produce anything spiritually. There is only one church and one body, and it's the true believer in Christ Jesus and the ones who follow him. Everything else is false, and that's why many of them are going to say, Lord, Lord, because they went to a building two or three times a week. They gave some money. They sang some songs. Didn't move Christ in the least. He said, I never knew you. I don't recognize you. Okay, so now we get down to chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. For if Abraham was justified by works, he's talked about human works, works of the law, he has something to boast about, but not before God, okay? Abraham could brag that his works justified him. Yet God said, no, for all have sinned, and no one has been fully righteous before God. Even Job made sacrifices for his own family, and for himself, he was like a priest. So the most righteous person has failed somewhere. And that failure and that sinning puts him in a position he cannot please God without forgiveness and sacrifice. And he cannot do that because he's in a state of sin. Okay? So that is not to counter that God appreciates people living righteously and good but he recognizes the human state that is none righteous, so he had to do something. And this is why Jesus, when he was crucified, said it's finished and gave up his spirit. He went down into paradise and preached deliverance to Abraham and those under the old covenant. They were waiting. See, the blood covered them but the law was actually not completely satisfied, so he led captivity captive. He brought them into heaven because he was the literal sacrifice that did it. So they were held in a, a good place until he accomplished this. So that shows us that their works alone could not have done it. It couldn't have helped them. And though God recognizes and appreciates people trying to live right under any covenant. You'll find that people who try to live right, often God responds to them. People, you don't find in the scripture any prophet that was called by God who was a wicked sinner and is outward living. So God looked at people who were trying, they were morally upright. You don't find one. See, people brag about, oh, I was the worst of sinners, and Peter was a dirty fisherman. There ain't no such teaching in the Bible on that. These are man-made lies. God appreciates anybody who, with the light that they have, with their conscience, trying to do good. And they're capable. Remember, Cain was capable of not murdering his brother, and God warned him not to, and he was to resist it. Well, he didn't obey. He could have obeyed like Abel did, but he did not. So 
people make too much of this. We're all centered. We're not all practicing evil centers if we're going to walk with the Lord. But we all need sanctification and we need the Spirit of Christ to do a work in us through His Spirit and He removes our past sins. He does not license us to willfully sin and disobey Him as we please. That is false Christianity. Okay? So we see that Abraham could brag about his works if he had done them, and yet God said, no, all have said, not one has been fully righteous before God. That's what Isaiah says. All have come short of God's expectation of holiness and complete righteousness. Only person that's accomplished that was Jesus Christ, okay? So he was, in a sense, a heathen when he was called. He was in no particular calling, covenant, and God uh, called him for his purposes, and he obeyed those purposes. Had he not obeyed, he would not have been made righteous. See, there's a lot of common sense in this. God didn't drag him away from being a moral, wicked sinner and beat him into the kingdom like some of the Calvinistic people think. So he believed in God's plan for righteousness and not his own human works. He did not try to justify himself like the Pharisees did. He did not try to justify himself like most people in the world that think they're Christians that are not. They think their goods could be weighed against their bad, and they're hoping their good will prevail when it's not going to be judged that way. You're either in Christ and obeying the Spirit, or you're out of Christ. It's very simple. There's no weighing of the scales for that. Okay, that's another false assumption. Now, if we go, again, as we've done many, many times, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 And 31, but of God, him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So Christ has provided that. So when we believe and accept his plan and turn our life over to Christ, He credits his righteousness to us. We don't have none of our own. And then the Holy Spirit does the work, begins the work of sanctification, conforming us to what he wants, dealing with us and changing us. But you'll find no New Testament teaching where any person can live in any form of gross sin and remain a Christian. That's why Paul named 22 sins, and he said, and the such like, if you can think of any other ones. He didn't mention the worst things like cannibalism and child molestation. He was speaking about the normal human, not the one in Gandhi. He was speaking to a group of people, and he was telling them that these sins that you name, but he includes everything when he says, and the such like. He said, if you make this a way of life, you will not make it to heaven. Why? Because you're not going to be a Christian as far as Christ is concerned. He come to deliver us from the curse of the law and from the power of sin over us. He comes to strengthen the will and spirit to do the will of God, not to license us to sin or to cover our sin. He comes to remove it and give power 
over it. So we see in verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. God's plan is what he believed in, that God would find and had found a means, and the means was eventually going to be Jesus Christ and not his works. It was not Abraham's work. He had to fall in line with God's plan uh, because he couldn't do it himself. Uh, No matter what he tried to do, it would not nullify his past sins. How could they be forgiven if there wasn't someone else to remove them? He could not remove them. So even at his best state, he still had sin and past sin staring him in the face. Okay, verse 4 Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. The one who claims it on his own works, like the Pharisees did, uh, he thinks he's justified or made righteous. It is his due. It is the effort. It has nothing to do with God. And that's why God rejects it. Because the Pharisees as a whole were hypocrites and false Jews and They strained at gnats and swallowed camels. They laid aside the law for their own traditions, so they were sinners enough in that. And yet they considered themselves righteous. They considered the common people ignorant and under the curse, and only they were the special elite. It was their own righteousness. They had deceived themselves, and Jesus said, your father is the devil. He made it very plain who was motivating them. Okay? Verse 5, though, but to the one who does not work, this is self-effort, but believes in him, God, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness, okay? He, the heretic, argues often against spiritual work. It's not talking about spiritual works here. The proof of grace is working in them. That's obedience. That's fruit-bearing. And that's spiritual works. That comes when a person commits themselves to Christ. But initially to come to Christ, he has nothing of his own to bring. When he's in Christ, he's joined to Christ. So he's still receiving everything from Christ. Christ is in him, the scripture says, the hope of glory. Okay? And so to excuse sin and human works... That is not going to happen. Yet the point is, if one believes or trusts that God will justify the sinner, he accepts God's plan, that one's faith and trust is credited as righteousness. The two words are very close, righteousness and justification. They're sometimes interchanged. So when it says we are made just, we're made righteous. One's own faith, which he allows us to exercise, If he receives Christ, the righteous one, then he is in him. The problem doesn't say that salvation is separate from Christ. See, people think salvation is some kind of object. Scripture says it's Christ in us. He has made to us salvation, redemption. It's by our continued relationship of abiding in the vine. Those who do not obey the law of Christ who refuse to trust and follow him, they are cut off from the vine. They don't like to emphasize that one because it's contrary to their heretical demonic teachings, okay?
verses 6 through 8, we'll read them. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man, the happiness on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from his works or the works of the law. Number seven, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Now, the last second part of seventh, uh, that applied on the old covenant. The sins were covered. Under the new, they are removed. They are cleansed. The conscience is cleansed. Okay. So what is he telling us here? He's saying those whose lawless works and sins have been forgiven. He's talking about past sins. God does not charge sin to them. Most professing Christians will say, Lord, Lord, at the judgment bar. But Christ will say, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. It means you break the laws of God. That's simply what it means. You transgress. You sin against his laws. Well, Christ is going to say that to most people who claim to be Christians. Even though they say, Lord, Lord, he doesn't accept that. Mental believing does not save a person. It's receiving Christ in one spirit and heart that does. Christ is our hope of glory. So we are not saved so we can live our own life. Our past sins are removed when we come to the Lord. But it's the work of sanctification. We're given the power over the present sins. There is no future state unless the person continues in it. So the lying heretic says our sins are forgiven past, present, future. That is a lie. They're only forgiven as you enter in to that state. We've not entered into the future, so our future sins have not been forgiven. Only as we walk in Christ will they be when we confess and deal with our sins. So these are cheap gospels, wishy-washy grace gospels. They're only going to lead to the lake of fire. And this is why the people will spend eternity wailing and moaning and crying for the torment and for seeing how stupid and hopeless they are for believing such foolishness. Okay. So we see now, 9 and 10, in this blessing then on the circumcised, the Jew, or on the uncircumcised, the Gentile, for we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. He believed in God's plan. And Romans will tell us later, and so will James, that his belief led to obedience. If he did not obey, he would not have got the blessings. He had to continue in his belief against all opposition. That does away with once saved, always saved. People say, well, I'm saved. It's all downhill. No, it's not. You've just entered the race. You have to overcome. You have to endure. You have to use the grace and the weapons that God gives. And if you don't, you forfeit it very simply. See, people don't want to hear that. That's why the majority of professing Christians are going to end up in the lake of fire. Okay? Hard saying, but it's true. Okay. Okay, it says in verse 10, how then was it credited? While he was circumcised, well, he wasn't a Jew, that came later, or uncircumcised. 
it was while he was uncircumcised. Okay, that's the point he's proven here. He was a non-Jew. He later became the first Jew. So he's answering the Jews and Romans and some Jewish Christians who thought they were in a better position than the Gentiles because they had special, this doesn't say that. Abraham is the father of all, we'll see, the Jew and the Gentile. And this is what Paul is trying to get across to them, okay? He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe, Jew or Gentile, without being circumcised, that righteousness may be credited to them. So he's saying, what did he receive? People think baptism water saves them. Some denominations teach that. It's a false heresy. Baptism of water is a sign of what happened in you. When you believed and were changed and born again and the Spirit entered you, then you go get water baptized. It was a sign to others and to the world that you are dead in yourself and you've been buried with Christ and resurrected with him. Baptism saves no one. Now, a person should be baptized a matter of obedience for the Christian, but he's doing it because of what has already happened. It does nothing for him spiritually later as a Christian as simply any obedience does, but he's to be born again first. And a lot of people think, well, when you're baptized in water, all your sins are washed. No, it's a symbol. Your sins were washed away when you turn to the Lord. When you confess and repent it and turn to the Lord, that's when your sins were washed away. And now you're proclaiming this to the church and to the sinner that you are in Christ Jesus. So it's the same. He was circumcised as proof of what he believed in his heart. So he was righteous. It was credited to him while he was not a Jew. See, while he was, well, see, before then, everybody was Gentiles, basically, because Abraham was the first Jew, and a covenant was going to go through him. The law came because of Abraham, and justification by faith came because of Abraham. God said he would be the father of many nations. Verse 12, and the father of the Jews to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also to those who follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while he was not a Jew. Now get this part here. A lot of people fail to see it, okay? He's a follower. The one who believes in the Lord is a follower of Abraham. He moves in the steps of faith just like Abraham did. He's not accrediting anything he did. He's not crediting the law of works or conscience because he could never keep it perfectly. He's trusting in God's plan, which is Jesus Christ, who has made righteousness for us. It's given to us, credited to us, though we did not earn it. It was God's grace and work that did this. Man had nothing to do with the plan, okay? So father to, the word father means beginner, often when it's originator, 
That's originally what the word means. He was the father of Jews, the circumcised, who follows the same way Abraham did. If you don't follow by faith as Abraham did, well, Paul says he's not a true Jew. He said a Jew is not one outwardly, but inward. So he refuses to believe. And see, the Pharisees believed they were Jews in covenant because they were circumcised. And Jesus said, your father's the devil. He didn't recognize that, okay? So what we see is we have faith in the righteous one, and his righteousness is credit to those who accept God's plan. The plan originates with God. Now, receiving the plan has something to do with man. He has to confess and repent and do what it takes to enter the plan. But the plan itself is not of his making. We have to see that of what God's saying. And 13, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants, his offspring, that he would be heir of the world was not through the law of Moses or the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So this was before the law of Moses. See, the law of Moses was a tutor. It was a temporary fix, but it could not deal with the sin as Jesus Christ could. And so it was a secondary plan that was not God's final plan. Okay, this final, we call it the Reformation, was in Jesus Christ. Okay, and so we see then the promise was made and he believed in God's plan to make him righteous and to carry through with the plan. And so his offspring didn't matter whether they were the law of Moses or not, but it was to the righteousness of faith that would save both of them. 14, for those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. So if you're claiming the law of Moses or the law of human works, faith does not work, he's saying. The promise does not count. See, because God's promise is not to those. So the Pharisees were still under the bondage of the law of sin and death. They'd not entered in the righteous way. Now, some righteous Jews, until Christ came, they were righteous because they kept the law properly. They did the sacrifices. They obeyed the Lord. And he winked at some things in their lives because he knew they're not capable of producing righteousness as Christ would. They outwardly had to obey, and some things in their heart that were wicked, God overlooked it temporarily because he knew they weren't in a better covenant. They had to work within the covenant that God was dealing with at that time. 15, for the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. So if a person's under the law of Moses or the law of conscience, part of that is stating that you've sinned or there wouldn't be no law. Why do you have a law if you break things? Why are you told not to do this, not to do that? And eventually you fail at something. And that's why sacrifice and ritual is provided under the law. Under the conscience, the man tried to make right what he'd done wrong. He did his best because his conscience told him you've sinned, you've done something wrong. And so God honored that at the time they were in. He did with Job. And he was the most righteous man on the earth at the time. 
but he honored that. Didn't say he was sinless. And one text it says he was perfect in all of his ways and the degree that he could obey God. But the inbred sin was still there, the sin nature, and occasionally he failed. But he meant there was no other person like him in all the earth that walked according to his conscience and God's plan for him. Okay, But even he could not deal with his past sins because he was unrighteous and a, a person who sinned uh, cannot sacrifice himself. He has nothing to sacrifice to satisfy God's holiness, okay? So the law brings about punishment, God's anger. The law was to train people and the conscience that if you broke certain laws, if you didn't make amends, if you didn't have sacrifice, God would punish you. He would be angry. He would do something against you because of his holiness, he has to be just in his dealings. And one of the just things about God is he rewards the sinner for his sins. The wages of sin is death. And he does that still. He rewards them. He uses that punishment to get their attention, to show them that something bad is going to happen later, and it's to catch their attention. But he has to do this. And if sin is not forgiven, then one day the person will stand before the God of wrath. Now, Paul said Jesus Christ has delivered us from the wrath of God, the wrath to come. So only being in Christ Jesus keeps us from God's wrath and anger. This is what he's trying to state. Let's take a break here.